This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm Justin Quinn here with Alex Goldberg and Ken Tabatabai of Off the Glass and Celtics Hub, respectively, along with a few special guests recording just moments from the start of the 2021 NBA season. We've invited Nick Fryer, editor of our sister site, Netswire, and Jack Manuel of the Off the Glass pod, Brooklyn Buzz, or is it Bounce? It's Buzz, my dude. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to talk all things Nets Celtics ahead of the two teams Christmas Day game and much, much more. How's everyone doing? Bloody good. Bloody good. Ready for the season. I'm doing great. I just had a wonderful little mini vacation, so I'm feeling good. Must be nice. Yes, <laughs> vacation? What's that? <laughs> teacher life. It's great. Pretty much. Anyone else here not a teacher? Nick, what do you do besides, besides journalism? Anything? No, that's all I do is write. That's it. Nice. Sports machine. I like it. Everyone else here is a teacher. Um, and since we, you know, you're all here listening uh, because you want to hear about teaching, I figured maybe we should talk about some news. The Celtics got smacked in the preseason games. How worried are we? Not particularly. Uh, it's fun to put stock in preseason games, but uh, with huge grains of salt. Um, maybe bigger than even a grain can qualify as being Uh, the Celtics are fielding eight first or second year players. They're just an inexperienced bunch. So uh, I don't really feel the need for them to put the pedal to the metal. There's a lot of kinks to iron out and uh, a coach like Brad Stevens is the person for the job. So let's revisit that question in February for now. Not particularly worried. Yeah, I think that's on the money, Cam. Um, Brad Stevens has typically used preseason games to just kind of tinker and throw stuff out there. Uh, we got a whole lot of Peyton Pritchard. We got a whole lot of Aaron Nesmith and Carson Edwards. Javante Green was starting. I'm not necessarily sure that the Celtics are going to be doing that opening night. Uh, I don't think there's really too much you can take away from this team in preseason. They're might if there is one thing it's that uh the shooting did not look great with the starters on the floor but ultimately i I think we just gotta wait and see i wouldn't feel great about the celtics right now personally i mean without kemba right now i i mean and look already i'm going into the season and it's a two-team race and now after what i saw from what i've seen from the sixers and how they've rebuilt things i think they've passed the celtics right now I think the, the Heat are the number three team just out of respect. Fine, if you want to put them as the four. But I think it's a two-team race in the Eastern Conference right now and even more so after what I saw in the preseason. 
Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that you know, if we can't look into preseason games, then as a Brooklyn Nets fan, um, what am I doing? Um, Kevin Durant, the best player in the world right now. Nah, look. In, in all honesty, you know, the defense, the the offense looked a, a little bit sluggish, but I think that's going to happen when the experimentation from Brad Stevens in the way that he's using this preseason it makes a lot of sense. But if that trend continues, you know. Obviously, when the games start to matter, that's when you start worrying. I think the depth is, is still going to be an issue. And obviously, Kemba's health, you know, when's Tristan Thompson going to be back? You know, as long as there's like at least an eight or nine man rotation and there aren't too many first or second year players playing meaningful minutes. But unfortunately, that's probably going to have to be the case. And there are a couple of guys there that could pop. And I think with Brad Stevens' level of expertise, I think he's going to get one or two of them to pop off. So, how are we feeling about the Milwaukee Bucks? Another top team in the East, getting penalized with a second-round pick for the whole Boyan Boyanovich, Bogdanovich, however you say his last name, uh, tampering scenario. Was that too much? I mean, they just lost a second-round pick. If anything, it's just really embarrassing because you lost out on that. I guess it's a reminder that they lost out on him to the Hawks, who are at best going to be the seventh seed, maybe the six if the Pacers suck this year. That's about it. Yeah, I just don't think this is very important at all to the Bucks. They made their big move in the offseason getting Drew Holiday. They emptied out all of their picks to do it. Um, this pick, if it even does convey, is going to be like the 60th pick or something. Uh, I don't think that the person who they would have drafted would even play very much. So this is a slap on the wrist, which has kind of been typical of Adam Silver and tampering violations for uh, the basically the entirety of his tenure in the NBA. And that's fine for the most part. I do. My only uh, issue with it is unless Milwaukee did something very flagrant that either hasn't been reported or I missed, it does feel like penalizing a small market team in a way that we know the Clippers and Lakers and everyone else are tampering left and right. And I haven't seen uh, a penalty of this size. So I might be loud wrong about that, but it does. How much seem... was Magic Johnson fined again? Was it like $50,000? Or... Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But that's yeah. not, that doesn't, affect the on the court no no yeah yeah, i agree not that a second round pick necessarily does but so i was a little surprised that it happened i mean again tampering is kind of the way of the world in the nba but uh i don't think it's a meaningful penalty in the long run i guess it's an asset that the bucks couldn't use in a trade package but otherwise yeah yeah i think the thing that stuck out to me is that i'm not sure if i was reading it wrong or who was reporting it but Apparently that pick is going to be completely null and void and no team is going to be able to use it. I don't know what that means. And wouldn't you just give that to the next team up or they would get an extra? uh, That that confused me a little bit. It's it's something that I haven't seen since being a basketball fan. It's a bit just odd and strange. If you're robbing some guy of an opportunity, yeah, maybe he's probably yeah. going to be a two-way player. Next but Isaiah Thomas, yeah. Just give yeah. it to the Knicks. I mean, that's, he'll probably <laughs> play for them. That's a good point. <laughs> we can all agree on the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> well, there has also been a number of extensions. Uh, some of them kind of, you know, expected. Uh, the Giannis Supermax, I think, is probably – Writing the line on that, uh, we don't need to get into that uh, right now, but were there any extensions that did surprise you? Uh, Cam? I have an opinion here. Uh, the Luke Kennard thing is preposterous. Uh, I'm, I'm all for overpaying players so you have a movable contract, but four years of Luke Kennard, what is it, $64 million? That's just... Yep. I know that the cap is probably eventually going to go back up again, um, but I don't know. The Clippers... 
have such a track record of overpaying players and Kawhi hasn't committed to them long-term, that could be a weird contract very quickly. So yeah, that would be really weird. The false one was when it surprised me the most though. Yeah. But that I makes mean, you feel good. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. Good, good for him and everything and turn around. It makes the Sixers look like idiots a little bit too, or just, I guess <laughs> Philly seems a lot more toxic because you couldn't thrive there. However you want to spin to make them look bad, but I was still stunned by that one. Is that what you get? Is it 50 million? Is 50, right? yeah. yeah. Three yeah. years, 50. Three years, 50. I mean, look, the Cardard one is egregious, but that one was pretty shocking for me. I don't know. I think on the one hand, Fultz has definitely had his struggles in the NBA so far and has not lived up to the promise of being a number one pick. On the other hand, he actually did tangibly develop into a better player last year in Orlando. And I think for a team that hardly ever gets big free agents, it's not the craziest risk to take. There's still some stuff to like about his game. The thing that surprised me a little more was the Jonathan Isaac $80 million deal. Uh, I think Jonathan Isaac at his peak could be a really good NBA player, but unfortunately this dude is getting injured every year seemingly. And I just think that's a really risky bet to commit that much money to a guy who just through no fault of his own can't stay on the court. Yeah, I mean, there were those sort of issues with Canard as well. You know, the, the Detroit Pistons gave up all those seconds to get rid of him. You know, do they know something that the Los Angeles Clippers don't? Are they hiding those medicals? I think it's hard to judge a lot of these rookie extensions, you know, in the moment. Like, it, it is, obviously, we, we have those hyperbolics for the takes initially. But after a season, it's like, okay, well, Canard's healthy now, and he's a decent enough ball handler, and he's a great shooter. That's all right. Markel Fultz is never getting his jumper back. This is a bad deal. Jonathan Isaac is finally back, and it has a, some semblance of help. But, you know, a lot of the – like, the Jonathan Isaac one could be unders if, he's, if he comes back healthy because he is – he has, at least has an elite talent in terms of his impact defensively. There was some that I liked. I really liked the OG Ananobi deal. I think he's going to win most improved player this year. I'm, I'm super in on that. And the Gobert deal, I think, is was necessary if it's the Utah Jazz. But if it was another team, it's an overpay. You know, you've got to keep the guys and you've got to keep the asset, you know, not to reduce these players just down to assets. Even if it is a, a near super max, closer than the normal max. I know that they were sort of toing and froing and Gobert's like, I want the super max. And the team's like, we'll give you the normal max. And Go get, Gobert basically gave up like, what, $20, $23 million. That's going to get you maybe like a, a 4 $5 million player. You know, a decent enough rotation piece. So that was good for Utah and certainly good for Gobert. But yeah, I think a lot of these are hard to judge initially because we don't, they're potential pace. All of, the majority of these rookie extensions are potential pace. And what are these guys going to be? There were also a few players who did not get an extension. Laurie Markkanen, uh, Lonzo Ball, John and Zach Collins, no relation. And one in particular, I wanted to hear you Nets people talk about uh, the wisdom behind that being Jared Allen. Look, I think the, Jared, the lack of the Jared Allen extension was partly because of the poison pill contract and partly from Jared Allen's camp, he's going to get a lot more than probably what his market value is right now. You know, it's anywhere from the range of 10 to $15 million per season. You know, it would be unders if he were to get something like the Yusuf Nurkic deal, but it'd probably be overs if he were to get something like what Clint Capella got, you know, around that 18 to $19 million per annum. Per annum sorry. So I think if by the end of this season, you know, the Brooklyn Nets and Jared Allen is finally starting like he deserves to, and he's contributing in postseason basketball, and he continues to grow and flourish, 
the guy's 22 years old. He's the same age as freaking Opie Toppin is right now in his first season. He's going to continue to grow and flourish. I think he's going to be around the sort of 15 to $17 million range, but hopefully, you know, he's always been quite healthy as well. Um, I think he deserves a deal. And if he took it, it would have been awesome for the Brooklyn Nets in a lot of respects, similar to getting unders on like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Severt in the past, but he's going to get a lot more money because he deserves it. He's right now, he's a starting caliber center in this league. And starting caliber center is what Miles Turner is probably the best comparison I can make got 468. Jared Allen could get fringed at if he continues to grow and flourish. Allen deserves to get paid thousand percent. I mean, look, he doesn't, he's not a three point shooter. He's never going to be a three point shooter. He's not going to help you stretch the floor at all, but he can do everything else. I'd like him. I'm sure Jack feel the same way to put on a little bit of weight. So he doesn't get bullied around like he has in the past, but outside of that, he, he brings you everything else that you need. And like, look, you'll get DeAndre Jordan. He's getting all those minutes. We know, and he started, we know why that's happening. Okay, fine, whatever, accept it for what it is. He's not, you know, he's going to help. He's still a rebounding machine. But Allen deserves to get paid a lot more. And I think the Nets would be foolish to not match whatever offer she gets in the offseason because he's going to get a decent chunk of change. And any team that goes and somehow maybe they pull him away from Brooklyn, then great, you're getting another ad. But I think I think Brooklyn will match it. And we see with what's going on with all the, the hardened chaos and everything where Sean Marks has said you're not going to mortgage away your future and everything. I mean, everybody has a price that eventually they'll be willing to do it for. But I think Allen is one of those guys that he's looking at as, as part of your future because when Durant and, and Kyrie are done, what is, what's the next step? Who are the guys that are going to usher in that next era of Nets basketball? And you're the, continue, the guys who are going to help continue that will be probably Dinwiddie, but definitely Kara Silvert and Jared Allen for sure. Yeah, I think that's completely right, guys. And, you know, I think one reason – Another reason to keep Jared Allen long-term is that Jared Allen could also eventually, if he plays his way into the contract that y'all are projecting him to play into, he's going to be involved potentially in a deal for a third star should that continue to be the pursuit for the Brooklyn Nets franchise. I think Allen, Levert, those guys are all going to be valuable chips going forward. And if he continues to improve, if he gets a contract that becomes movable for an even better player, uh, I see no reason why they wouldn't match. There's so many universes where DeAndre Jordan declines and declines fast. Um, there's a lot of universes where he plays a number of seasons at a high level and can stay on the court with Durant and Irving, but having that insurance policy, because Allen has far fewer NBA miles on those bones. So it's just, if the Nets are willing to pay and can make eight or nine guys comfortable with limited touches, that's such a a boom for what is already a really dangerous team uh, because I mean, I'm a big DeAndre Jordan fan and maybe not as much as Kyrie and uh, come to ramp, but he is definitely the weak link in that friendship and having Allen uh, somewhere down the stretch, whether it's this spring or next year able to step up, that would be huge for the Nets. So you guys have been tiptoeing around another issue that unites these two teams that are already tied together by questionable trades. And this is, you know, a questionable trade for both teams that they're being tied to by various sources, one of which sees the Nets as a potential suitor for James Harden, but only reportedly from the, from the uh, Rockets camp if they would include Kyrie Irving in the deal as a starting point. So I think in this sort of respect, I think the Brooklyn Kyrie Irving, it's all fluff. You know, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the thing that gets the deal done is 
the length and the amount of picks and the protections on them. And I don't think Sean Marks is going to be willing to mortgage the future that uh, Billy King did uh, for a lot of you guys and, and your team's fans uh, did, you know, five, you. six, seven years ago. So I uh, don't want to do that again. But hey, it all ended up okay with um, both teams. It's a, it's a win-win deal. You know, I'm not, I'm not as high as it on uh, Nets Daily was apparently. But in saying that, I think the picks and the pick protections and, you know, if it's a 2024 pick, a 26 pick, a 28 pick, when, you know, Duran Irving, their deals are done and they're, you know, in their mid to late 30s and the Brooklyn Nets will be a lot worse. I don't think that the Nets are going to be willing to do that because right now the ball is in, the the favor is on the, to the opposing teams, to Boston, to Miami, to Philly, to Brooklyn. James Harden has made it clear that he wants out. He's throwing basketball to teammates. He's going to strip clubs. He's doing what he's doing in a pandemic. That's probably the most disgusting thing about this whole thing. Just the, the recklessness <laughs> and derelict nature of his behavior. That to me just really pisses me off. But in saying that, the the way the Brooklyn Nets are playing right now, and obviously, like Cam sort of said, it is preseason basketball, but there's a, a an argument to be made that they don't really need him. You're not mortgaging your depth of what you've already got with your third, fourth, and fifth best players. And, you know, they have a rotation that's 10, 11 deep. And the Boston Celtics, you know, are you really going to give up a guy like Jalen Brown, um, who is, you know, a future, you know, Paul George-esque wing alongside Jason Tatum, maybe might be the most lethal wing duo going forward. Um, I hope I know Nets to listen. Can you, uh, Jack, can you say that again? <laughs> Look, I hope, I'm just going to say, I hope that no Brooklyn That's Nets listeners are, are hearing me give credit <laughs> to the Boston Celtics. But when I'm talking to you guys, it's very easy than talking to some other Celtics fans. So look, I just think that it's the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, it doesn't make sense for them to do the deal because right now Harden is tanking his own value and it's working in the opposing team's favor. Yeah, I just, for the Celtics, I see almost no scenario where this works from a fit standpoint either. You know, Kemba Walker, uh, Kemba Walker has had some issues. His knee is definitely an uncertain thing and something to watch going forward. That being said, any deal for Harden is certainly going to have to include Brown, at which point you're going to have two years to win the title with basically Jason Tatum and James Harden. And that's about it. He's not going to stay in Boston. He's not going to resign. He's made that pretty clear. Um, and I think it, it's just too risky and it's just kind of too weird of a basketball fit for the Celtics. From everything that I understand when it comes to the Rockets and James Harden, up at, like, I'm, and I'm talking not just the team, I'm talking the coverage, the fan base and all that stuff. They all, up until now, they love James Harden. You bring James Harden to either New York or you bring him to Boston, he is going to get torn apart. There's no shot in hell that I would want to see him on either team for either of their sakes. No way. It's, it's just they're asking for a mess. Now, if you're going out into the Nets, how are you going to stop them offensively, assuming that Kyrie's going to say that you're not? But they will implode. Like, look, I'll give Kyrie all the credit in the world, right? He, he wasn't talking to us, and then he came on, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, and was – I've never seen him so pleasant in my life. And then he came on again, same exact thing. He was great but we know that he can go in the other direction very quickly. You have that issue, and then you have James Harden, who I think is as big a diva as it gets in this league. I'm sorry, I don't care how much buddies they are. Like, you can't just have – like, you guys know, Celtics fans know, you can't just have a ton of talent and stick it all together and guarantee it's going to work. It can easily go in the wrong direction if you don't have the right chemistry. So, for the Nets, I do not want to see that. I I mean, look, 
Karis LeVert doesn't get his due outside of Brooklyn, honestly. Like he's he him in the Manu Ginobili role, Kevin McHale role, whatever. Super six man. I love that. I thought Dimwitty would have been good there, but I think Karis LeVert's way better suited for that. So as much as this third star stuff still pops up, I don't know about you, Jack, but I'm like I'm so against getting rid of Karis as, as your absolutely. Uh, third guy absolutely absolutely i think you it just makes so much sense in terms of just balanced team cohesion everyone seems to be buying into their roles you've spoken to them nick you've heard everyone sort of being like yeah i'm doing whatever the team wants yeah i'm spencer dimity's going to be the draymond green of the brooklyn nets carousel it's going to be manu ginobili Kyrie and kd you know while they might be temperamental and have their personality issues but both of them have been awesome of late with the media with likes of you and matt brooks and, and the rest of the nets media i just think that they're just ready because they're they're much more pleasant because they're getting to play basketball now and they're not having to worry about all this external sort of BS stuff that, you know, isn't necessarily their cup of tea. But at the end of the day, James Harden, it's, I would be surprised if he's still on the Houston uh, Rockets by March trade deadline, whenever the the heck the date is, but what team uh, it's probably Philly. But that's only because, you know, Daryl Morey tweeted out like a memory, you know, like, like what was it yesterday or whatever, they had to delete it. And it's just like, my God, please, you know how, like you've gotten in trouble with uh, Twitter before. You should have probably gotten in trouble for it. But seriously, just Twitter fingers. Stop, my dude. Send him to Charlotte so he can go hang out with uh, LeVar Ball. Wow. That would be nice. I like I'd, that. I'd Great that. I like that. <laughs> them and then have you have MJ there. That just sounds like the, the perfect reality TV show in the making right there. <laughs> I, I was just going to wrap this up by saying, you know, I think the Celtics should definitely be looking to acquire stars in the future. Um, they need to maintain flexibility throughout Tatum's uh, prime kind of on his max deal. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that James Harden should be the target right now. Yeah. Every, every star that comes along should not just be mercilessly pursued by, you know, any team. It really like people, People have kind of taken this whole Mori ball kind of approach just to get the talent and figure it out thing a little too far, I think. We've seen a lot of high-profile meltdowns recently because of it. So this brings me to another potential high-profile meltdown, depending on how it pans out. And I want to get your guys' assessment on just where you are at with Kemba Walker's knee situation. I mean, having been a UConn guy since I was a little kid, I've, I've followed him all the way through his career. I've seen him go through these cycles and they have happened before, but they have also never been this bad. So what do we think? So just for clarity's sake, did this really all start because he played too many minutes at the all-star game? No, like, uh, it's come. It's been so. since then. Okay. I mean, there was a problem before that, but if Celtics fans don't hate Mike Budenholz right now, I don't know what you guys are smoking because, like, you should absolutely hate him. It, I'd I'm, pretty, him. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Mike Budenholz. It wasn't the coach at the All Star Game, uh, Nick Nurse. I keep I, screwing it up. Honestly, it's one or the other. It's, I do. I Nick Nurse infuriates me for all sorts of reasons. But, but Nick Nurse than, is super cool. What are you talking about? No, no. The Eastern Conference semifinals was a nightmare. I hated watching Nick Nurse whine to the refs for seven games. Not yeah, into true. it. <laughs> he plays guitar. You love that. Uh, so, Justin, um, thank you for putting it in uh, temporal perspective. Kemba's a little man with little knees that get banged up. I mean, he's going to need to um, rest up and take a while. Uh, he is going to lose a little bit of his pop which is to the detriment of his pick and roll game which is a huge part of his game but increasingly we want uh jason tatum to take the keys to the car right so uh there is as alex pointed out you know this team is now all about jason tatum and you win in the nba by having the best 
one of the five, six, seven best players in the world do their thing. Uh, so if the Celtics' future was predicated on Kemba Walker being the guy, that was already a problem. Uh, if he can continue to shoot from three well, if he can distribute well, um, and you can't hunt him too bad on defense, which was a huge problem for the Celtics uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, then that's okay. Um, and to that end, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Jeff Teague and Fast PP can hold down the fort. <laughs> Um, please don't let Marcus Smart be a point guard. He is too too sure-headed to make point guard uh, play happen consistently. But uh, this is another one where I know that that's not the frame of this uh, podcast, but ask me again in February where I'm at because I'm not too worried yet. Yeah, I think that's the approach that the Celtics are kind of taking as well with regard to Kemba Walker. I don't think they're going to be going all out at the start of the regular season. I think... They're going to be trying out lineups, seeing what works. Uh, I think they're gunning to go into the playoffs with a healthy Kemba Walker, and that matters a lot more. Uh, and, you know, to that end, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum in the uh, bubble were a lethal lineup, despite Miami being able to hunt Kemba on defense by the end. Uh, that, that lineup did really, really well with basically anybody else plugged in there. Those four guys together work well as teammates. There's a lot of shooting on the floor. Uh, and, you know, with Marcus, Jalen, and Jason antagonizing opposing mm-hmm. wings, there's a lot you can do with that team. Uh, if Kemba's knee continues to be as bad as it has been, then you probably have to start looking at what the long-term plan is. But for right now, uh, I think the right approach is definitely to just keep him on ice for as long as he needs, uh, bring him back when you're ready to try and make some noise in the postseason. So it was Nick Nurse, by the way, that was the coach. <laughs> uh, so I, I continue to get that wrong no matter what show I'm on. I apologize. Uh, but more importantly, with, with Kemba Walker, um, look, uh, the thing is that you, you should still play it with him because I just don't think the Celtics are going to win it this year. I, I mean, I, I think right now it's, what I hate that like how the NBA can be like this, but I look at it and I see four teams right at the, at the front right now. It's the Nets, it's mm-hmm. the Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. And last year, I thought the Celtics were legitimate title contenders. Obviously, they got close and then choked in the end. But with with what's going on with Kemba, guys, like at the beginning of the season of last year, he was not. He was obviously he's not this. He's never been this great defender, but he was not the liability that he became. Like he could still take charges. He was doing pretty well with that actually. Yeah. Like, I think him and Smart were what, like the best one-two combo in the league. I think I could be totally wrong on that, but he was doing well in that department. How, like, you lose that whole side of him now with his knee. I get it. Jalen and Tatum are, are the future, but you can't have this guy be not what he was on offense and then also be even more inept on defense like, and have him be your third best player. Like how do you play him to close out games? Like that's going to take a lot of really, really impressive chess work by Brad Stevens for the future. If you're going to do that. Yeah. I would ha- hate to have a point guard with a history of knee injuries on my team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Look, I think to put it plainly and simply for all teams, including the Boston Celtics, including the Brooklyn Nets, health is going to be a determining factor to their success. It's as simple as that. If the Boston Celtics have Kemba Walker fit and healthy come you know, January, February, whatever, and that health maintains, then they are going to be a championship contender. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving maintain health and at least in the pointy part of the season, they're going to be load managed. We've heard that from Steve Nash. Nick has heard it. Everyone else here has heard it. 
it's gonna it, it's it's reductive to sort of say and it's simplistic to sort of put it that way but with the help one of the whichever team is healthiest out of these two is going to have more success because both of them have a, a great collection of elite talent you know katie and Kyrie at their at their peak might be better than than tatum and kemba and and brown but that collective three mm-hmm. slash four with marcus smart in there both of these teams have elite talent and health is just going to be so damn important and there are going to be issues. I, I'm not confident in Kyrie Irving himself, you know, despite the fact that, you know, I'm a, supposed to be the homer here. The dude doesn't play the regular season. He's going, to, he's going to play 50, 55 games this season. But if he's playing, you know, 16 games and 38 minutes in the playoffs, I couldn't give a shit. Well, the other thing that comes down to, guys, too, is like we're talking about the, the knee problems with the point guards. Of course, Kyrie has knee problems. And if you take Kevin Durant out of the, out of the Nets lineup, we know what the, they're going to be with Kyrie as, the, as their best player. They're going to be a friend. They're going to be like at the bottom of the barrel playoff team. But my point is, like, the thing is, you're, we're talking about the point guards. You're like, if we want to evaluate the whole team, so it's Tatum versus Kevin Durant. And who's going to win that battle? Like, every time, like, you could flip flop the point guards, and I'm still going to take the Nets in that one because you have Kevin Durant. Like, it's not, like, it's not about a Kemba thing. Like, it's just, you need him to be, you need him to be better than, than Kyrie. And for him to be better than Kyrie because of where Tatum is on the scale, like, he needs to be. He needs to look like he was pre-All-Star game, and that comes down to his health more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I think what the Celtics are really hoping for is for Brown and Tatum to improve upon last year and not necessarily take radical leaps, but they were both already on an up-and-up. I think what inspires hope for Tatum and Brown is that they play on both ends of the court 100%. And Irving, it's just a fair knock that sometimes that's not true. And I sometimes, mean, I talk about most of the time that's not true. <laughs> you said Let's it be honest with you. You're already being nice. We're Jack and I aren't going to be offended. Come on. Let's well, be real. so, and then that's the thing is, I mean, I can't think of any basketball fan who isn't rooting for Kevin Durant to be 100% healthy because the league is just a better place when the best players are balling out. So, uh, much to my chagrin, I think, Nick, you're right that if Durant is at full tilt or even 90% of the player he was pre-injury, that's a huge problem for the Eastern conference, not just the Celtics. I mean, you guys um, got a taste of him in the preseason. He looks pretty he looks good. good. Yeah. True. But uh, you also have to consider that Jason Tatum is rocking long curls, uh, which is a typical killer for him, <laughs> averaging significantly less points. And when he shaves his head, he goes back to being a, third team borderline second team all nba guy so well, and deuce is probably gonna be able to talk soon right so he's gonna be able to give him pep talks that'll help oh my god i haven't even thought about that i don't even know what he sounds like yeah none of us do, right? <laughs> it's gonna be mind-blowing so there's another big elephant in the room in terms of how one of these teams may end up performing this season and it might not be anything depending on how we feel about it and that is Kyrie being weird hmm. <laughs> take your bit like, how, how are you feeling uh, on, on Kyrie finishing the season without creating another brouhaha, either internally within the team or externally, as usually seems to be the case? To be honest, I don't think it's it's going to be an issue with the Brooklyn Nets. I understand why it happened in the Boston Celtics locker room, given the, t- the time that a lot of those players were in their career, the personality sort of mesh. But we did also see a pretty sort of harmonious reunion, a lot of hugs and stuff. I think a lot of it does get blown up. And I think that personality stuff, locker room stuff, I think it's going to be more of an issue uh, when it comes to the Los Angeles Clippers because it clearly had an effect on their on-court product. I don't think it's going to affect the Brooklyn Nets on-court product. And I think the likes of the, the, the sort of secondary sort of 
players and stars. Jared Allen, his sort of personality type. Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Carol Savert. These sort of dudes are like, we know our roles. These guys are the superstars. And they've said, and Nick's heard probably a million comments about it, that we want to make these guys better. Our job is to make them better because that's going to create winning basketball and championship habits. So I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup. But I wouldn't, look, It's going. there's going to be a point in time where Kyrie says something or Jared Weiss of The Athletic finds out something or Rachel Nichols finds out something. But I don't think it's going to affect the Brooklyn Nets because I also think Steve Nash at the helm in terms of his emotional intelligence and his ability to just know how people work. And, you know, when he's asked about Kyrie Irving, he's gassing him up. He's gassing up all the guys. I just think that the collaboration and the nature of the locker room and the whole roster in general, I think it's not going to be a big effect for the Brooklyn Nets as it was for the Boston Celtics. Storm in a teacup, I have never heard before, but I really like that, Jack. So I may, I may start using that. But I no, look, the, with the Celtic situation, Kyrie was supposed to be the alpha dog there, right? And I think we've all seen it, the phrase Batman and Robin gets overused so much, but we've seen like Kyrie cannot be that number one guy. He can take the last shot at the end of the game for sure, but he's not going to be the guy who leads you to the promised land at the end. And Kevin Durant is. And when you hear like, you just go listen to Kyrie Irving's appearance on Kevin Durant's podcast. Forget, like, I, I get that he said a lot of controversial stuff, but listen how he talks to KD. As much as he thinks he can hang with KD, he has this unbelievable respect for this guy because he's been around longer. He's won before. Kyrie is so much about you have to have done something before for me to respect you and for me to welcome you in. I don't necessarily like that mentality, but that's how he is. So when you have Steve Nash, who is – Obviously, an accomplished point guard and everything like the Hall of Famer and whatnot. He hasn't won anything before, but he was so impressive. And he has Kevin Durant's respect. Then Kyrie, like right there, I think you're kind of all set. Then you have Dinwiddie, who has the right mentality. Like like you said, Jack, all these other guys who have the right mentality. And I know, like, I I don't think DeAndre Jordan should be starting over Jerry Allen. But I also think that DeAndre Jordan, in terms of a chemistry perspective, is as important as it gets on that team because he keeps things loose all the time. He, that's all. Every time he's on, he's always joking around and everything like that with us. Like he's, so I, I think he is a very. Um, he may not get the love like from a national perspective, but on the local side, like you'll see that like, he's just he keeps those guys loose. And then, and as much as like Durant, as, as like he's not always been my cup of tea. Just a me thing, not a him thing at all. I, I guarantee that. But he's like he can handle Kyrie. Like he just doesn't get phased by it. And that is so important. I think in all this too, it's most important thing. Nick, I think you're so right. I think Durant and uh, Deandre, they're both cool as a cucumber in the face of Kyrie. Um, I love to, you know, pick fun of Kyrie now and again, but often he's right. uh, Vis-a-vis the media. And man, I hate the New York media. So it's going to (laughs) be, it's going to be a war of the words, but uh, it'll be hot air all the way through. And I think we buried the lead, which is Spencer Dinwiddie is definitely the weirdest dude on the Nets. And so <laughs> Kyrie suddenly is like Big one of the four normal guys on the roster. So uh, <clears throat> I think there will be many storylines, none of which particularly matter. I think uh, Lavert and Dinwiddie and others not getting enough touches could be something real. I think that's a real storyline t- to look after. Um, some jackass from the New York Post making fun of Kyrie's pregame outfit is not an actual story, although we'll have to probably pot about it sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. I will as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, with the Kyrie thing, so this story is getting 
frankly not that interesting to me. You know, the media is going to do their thing with Kyrie. They're going to just keep like asking him weird questions all the time uh, to try and provoke a reaction out of him. And maybe they'll get it, maybe they won't. But ultimately, you know, when I think about what Steve Nash is doing on the Brooklyn Nets, what his primary responsibility is, I don't necessarily think he's there to draw up a perfect play at the end of the game. Steve Nash is there to be the vibe coach. He's there to just hang out and chill with the boys, make sure everybody's feeling good going into the games. I think that's his primary responsibility. As long as he does that, as long as he and KD and Kyrie are on the same page, I really don't think this is going to be that big of a deal. You know, and just to kind of put a bow on it with Kyrie's tenure in Boston, on the one hand, it was definitely frustrating as a Celtics fan to see the commercial and the, if you'll have me, I plan on resigning here thing. That was a bummer. At the same time, there were more issues with that team than just Kyrie Irving. Marcus Morris uh, was taking the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands in critical possessions. Terry Rozier was in a contract year. We ran into a very good Bucks team and Giannis tore our front line apart. Al Horford was getting older. Like there was more going on with that team than just kind of, oh, Kyrie Irving's free agency is a big problem. So this, this is getting to the point of non-story for me with this stuff. The more I hear about, the more I see, particularly with that, you know, quote unquote love fest we saw between the Celtics players and Kyrie, uh, the more I'm starting to think that it was Mook and Terry, if it were the main problems that season, though we may never actually know. Uh, If they do ever make the 30 for 30 for that, I am definitely glued to the TV. That said... We had another high-profile departure with the Celtics in the offseason. I'd like to get some external viewpoints from you Nets people on uh, how you feel about Gordon Hayward leaving for the Hornets and how it's going to impact the Celtics. I don't know how you don't look at what Gordon Hayward decided to do and think that he's soft after this. I'm sorry. Like, come on. You're going to go and leave a con- – like, if Gordon Hayward's still there right now, everything I've said about, like, the Celtics taking a step back and being in trouble because of Kemba – I wouldn't be saying that as much as Hayward, like he's run into a ton of bad luck and he's not, he's never really reached like the, the Utah jazz here, which I know is like such an overused thing in Boston now, but he, he never quite got there. I get it. He ran into a lot of trouble, but now you leave to go. I don't care that you thought about playing in Charlotte before. How the hell do you look at that as a better situation other than the money? And you're still going to get, what was it? Like it was at least a hundred right mil that he was getting offered by the Celtics. It's a, you're a title contender. How do you leave for that? Don't you play to win? Or are you there just to go, you want to go hang out with LeVar and, and MJ? Is that what it is now? I just, it just looks so bad to me. I mean, Gordon Hayward saw the dollar signs on that offer and said, oh yeah, no, this is actually fine. I mean, that, and, and that's really what it comes down to with this whole story. Like Gordon Hayward was certainly a, very good player for the Boston Celtics last year when he was healthy. Ultimately, we made the Eastern Conference Finals largely without him in the playoffs. It is not a death sentence to lose Gordon Hayward for this team. Uh, And it's certainly not a death sentence to be paying Gordon Hayward $120 million guaranteed. That contract, I am very concerned about the future of the Charlotte Hornets. Let's put it that way. What's going to change? I, I think it, it sucks to lose any time. It sucks to lose a good player off of your team. Uh, I think that the Celtics will still be in a relatively good position going forward as long as they just have Tatum and Brown together. Um, but I certainly don't want to be paying that contract for the next four years. 
Well, the contract is absolutely disgusting. It's Batum 2.0. But in saying that, in terms of if Gordon Hayward were to still be on this Boston Celtics team, I'd be more confident in their championship aspirations. But you know, you have to take all those factors into account. And you know, maybe Robin didn't want to. His wife didn't want to stay there because apparently she only liked the cops and the donuts or whatever the hell it was. But <laughs> in, saying, in, in saying that, I just think that it takes away a, a key rotation piece, just purely basketball wise. And we chatted a little bit earlier about, you know, the Boston Celtics lack of depth. Gordon Hayward is a perfectly malleable piece and perfect sort of like star role player, if that makes any sense. He does so much, so much good in terms of like playmaking, decent enough defender, creates his own shot, can shoot from the perimeter. The Charlotte Hornets obviously are going to get a very good player, but I think he is, he's, he's super, his talents are much better served for a Boston Celtics team. I think that if he was on this team, you know, going into this season, I might have the Boston Celtics fighting it out with the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, as the sort of Eastern Conference favorite, you know, Brooklyn Nets, whatever else, but now they're sort of on the fringes. So I think it's a pronounced loss in terms of just the ability and talent that he did give to, to the Boston Celtics. But at the end of the day, you're not giving him that money. And, and Alex is completely right about that. So let's do just a quick hit on each other's, the rest of the off season. So starting with the Nets, talk about the draft. It doesn't seem like you guys did too much with the draft, uh, but you did hang on to Reggie Perry. What do we need to know about Reggie Perry? Do you want me to jump in, Nick? Sure, I've, 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 uh, I think he might be uh, the rookie of the year. No, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm all in the Reggie Perry hype trend because I think it's another sort of second round pick draft steal that Sean Marks got. You know, he's had a decent history with that, getting Rodion Skouritz, you know, Jared Allen, Karis Avert are late first rounders. He's a good drafter and he knows how to get rotation players and, you know, his contract was converted to a two-way. So he's going to, I think he's going to contribute because I don't expect DeAndre Jordan to play, you know, the full 72 games. You know, Claxton's still injured, Jared Allen, you know, if he, if he twists an ankle, uh, God forbid, or, or has some sort of other injury. You know, Reggie Perry's preseason as well, he provides a point of difference. I said this in the Brooklyn Buzz. You know, he provides a level of physicality and toughness for a rookie that he looks ready-made to just play NBA basketball. You know, that game against the Washington Wizards, a lot of good signs there. I think in the draft as well, obviously they didn't use that n- number 19 pick and I was dying for Josh Greed or Sadiq Bay. But what they did do in terms of converting into a Landry Shamit and also getting Bruce Brown for Jean Musa, who isn't even on the Detroit Pistons anymore. Those are two rotation players that can play key minutes, you know, come playoff time. Now, Bruce Brown obviously hasn't had the best preseason. I think there are some stuff behind the scenes in terms of, you know, his mm. conditioning and his desire. But I think he's going to contribute in, in a sort of David Nawaba fashion going forward. And Landry Shamit, you put him out there with Joe Harris, the goddamn that space is going to be freaking insane and look he's loving it and i think that the nets did some good things at the draft even though they'd only necessarily used that like 57 pick i think it was uh, on reggie perry yeah i think perry's a solid ad and it sounds like the other the, the veteran guys are pretty high in him. i know jeff green's spoken highly of him and so is deandre jordan like there's there's potential there and he has a shot unlike the other two like actual bigs that they have there so i think he's i mean i think he could be helpful down the line and the big thing is too and you kind of hit out of jack like this Marks is a good he's a good drafter, but he's all, they're also good at developing players that just kind of come off the scrappy. But not all saying that Perry's necessarily in that camp, but I mean he's still 57th overall pick. Kind of does fall into that category, even if he's better than that, however you want to look at it. So like look at what happened with TLC. Um, Joe Harris is a, is a prime example of that too. Didn't we? The, the list with that one can go on. I, I do wonder with you know Atkinson gone and certain other people, you know, Sean Fine leaving as well. Like there's different pieces leaving in the developmental side adam harrington's still there so that's important but i just so i wonder like how that will translate but 
I think he's a solid pick. And I never thought they were going to use that 19 pick check. I mean, I just like they were definitely, we knew they were trying to get a piece because that 19 pick is a guy who can play for a certain team, but not for the Nets. Yeah, true. On the other side, uh, how are we feeling after some preseason action about Aaron Neesmith, uh, Peyton Pritchard, and I guess we haven't really seen him in preseason, but we at least have seen some film of uh, Yamadar over in the Israeli Premier League. So uh, Peyton Pritchard is going to endear himself to Boston fans very quickly. He, in fact, already has. Uh, I think this dude is going to get a lot of run really early on, and there are going to be times when it's not going to look very good. That being said, I fully expect Peyton Pritchard to have a random 21-point game off the bench in the middle of February that will immediately win uh, his respect and loyalty from the Celtics fans going forward. Uh, I think he actually brings some interesting skills to the table as a secondary ball handler and shooter. He is not very fast and not very athletic, but he seems like he's got some stones and he and Marcus Smart are going to really enjoy playing together. Aaron Nesmith? I actually liked what I saw in limited minutes. You know, he kind of, he, he seemed a little more physical to me than I expected going forward. I think that his defense is definitely uh, going to take a minute. And Brad typically doesn't play dudes who can't contribute on the defensive end right away. That being said, uh, in a couple of years, I think there's definitely some, some flashes that are encouraging there. Yeah. Uh, Fast PP is definitely going to get punched in the face pretty soon because that dude plays really hard and in your face. And he is as annoying as Grayson Allen, but uh, aspires to be as tough as Marcus Smart, um, which is pretty cool. But he's definitely going to get the rookie treatment from opposing teams. Um, Alex is right. Nesmith's defense, I don't know. I wasn't super inspired, but it seems like he can shoot, which is something the Celtics could use. So, I don't know. Uh, I really think that if I was on the sidelines of an NBA team, I would, especially one that looks like punching your ticket to the postseason will come easily enough. Um, I think Alex and I are in agreement and I don't know, Jack and Nick, what you think there's not going to be fans at any playoff game this year. So home court advantage doesn't matter. I wouldn't be surprised if they go to a bubble again, uh, at least for the conference finals and finals like uh, baseball did maybe. Um, so I would really be careful with overplaying players, making sure that if they catch COVID, God forbid, they have a long leash for coming back. Uh, so I think, again, the Celtics have eight really young players that all things being equal, you wouldn't want to showcase. Um, but there's a weird opportunity here f- for taking it slow, really giving your players the opportunity to be emotionally and physically safe um, this season. And to that end, we might see more of the rookies than I otherwise would expect, given some of their defensive lapses. One thing on Neesmith, they need to, I understand his defense is a problem right now, but they need to figure out a way to get him on the floor where that kid can absolutely friggin' shoot. When I like the yeah, first preseason funny. game when he wasn't playing against the Sixers, Brad put him in like garbage time minutes. Like this is you haven't had a friggin' shooter in how long? And now you're just not gonna play him? Well, give Shemi the minutes because Shemi's been great. I'm the biggest <laughs> Shemi defender that there is. And I swear to God, I don't want to see him play another minute of basketball. He's killing me. Oh, man. <laughs> I do not think Semi Ojale is going to be playing too much. I really hope to God he's not. I am fully on board the start Grant Williams agenda and have this is my official stance for a year and a half now. And uh, I think he needs to take all of Semi's minutes. So, Sure. I can get behind that. <laughs> 
So kind of expanding beyond that, uh, what are some of the team's biggest, you know, strengths, weaknesses, needs, risks, secret weapons uh, with the Nets? Like, what do we need to know about this roster that isn't necessarily evident to a casual uh, reader or listener? I think right now that they, they honestly have a pretty balanced team. I know everybody wants them to get a third star, but I mean, if Karis LeVert's going to go on and, and, and I think he can be that spark off the bench. I mean, and you heard Kevin Durant talk about it too, where he says how he could be the ball handler while him and while Durant and Kyrie are still on the floor. If he's going to go and do that, we've seen that he can facilitate too. He did it in the bubble. I mean, he, that was, he, again, he's like a really well-kept secret. And I think now where he can take on, if he can stay healthy, he's got that issue too, just like Kyrie does. Uh, Kyrie has. Um, but you have that, and then Dinwiddie, like, I get it. Yeah, you might think, oh, he wants to get his offense, but he has consistently said since the day that Kyrie and KD came to, came to Brooklyn, I, we're, like, I'll do whatever I have to do to win. That's all I care about is winning. And he showed that like in the first game. Is he going to have some nights where he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot? Sure. But you have so much depth here. With, when you look at the bench, it's what? It's Dinwiddie. No, I'm sorry. He's starting. It's Karis LeVert. It's Jared Allen. And like Landry Schmidt and, and Tor, uh, Torian Prince coming off of your bench right now. Those are your four guys. And three of them were in your starting lineup last year. I, I know ideally you don't want them in your starting lineup, but like that's those are th- four pretty solid guys to have off your bench. And two, one of them's a legit score on score. And then Prince, when he's not asked to do as much, he's a good three-point shooter. Not as good as Schmidt, but he can, he's serviceable. Yeah, I think depth, you know, Nick sort of alluded to it. I alluded to it at the start that depth is a, a massive strength of theirs. And, you know, I think the addition of Jeff Green as well is going to be a sneaky little nice pick where they can sort of unlock some defensive and offensive lineups. You know, if KD can maintains the defensive IQ and intensity that he's shown in this preseason, then he's going to be an awesome defender. And it allows the Nets to just do some things and, and just throw different looks in a, in a way that sort of Nick Nurse does and Eric Spolstra does. The better teams do on the de- on the defensive end. So, I think depth is is a real key of theirs. And look, uh, to, to be, again, reductive and simplistic, Kevin Durant. It's as simple as that. If Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, then the Brooklyn Nets might be the championship favorite. But there is a big, big question mark about that, similar to, like, you know, Kemba Walker's health and such. So, look, it's all positive things at this point in time, but it's always easy to be positive in the preseason. Is this going to be the same mentality uh, and same sort of mindset that Nick and I and other Nets fans have, you know, come February, March and the doldrums of the season? God, I'm hoping so. But I think that also the mentality of the squad, and Nick probably heard this today, it's like, you know, it's a one day at a time mentality, one game at a time. Let's enjoy the grind. Let's enjoy the journey. So look, it's a, a lot of positive stuff. And I think that the coaching staff, you know, obviously you, you take it with a grain of salt, like sort of Cam was alluding to earlier, but you have assistant coaches in Ima Yudoka, Jacques Vaughn, and Mike D'Antoni. Those three are head coach caliber in terms of assistant coaches. So I think that the depth and expertise from top down, Sean Marks down to Chris Chioja at the bottom of the roster, there's just a heap of balance and a heap of cohesion that probably we haven't been able to say about many other teams. How about the Celtics? Uh, I think one thing that if the Celtics can get everybody healthy and on the floor, uh, this team can really look forward to is how good this defense can be when everybody is healthy and able to play. I think Tristan Thompson was actually a fairly strong acquisition uh, in the offseason, especially for that price point. And I think there's going to be some nights where Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, and Tristan Thompson make life very, very difficult for opposing teams. So at its peak, I think this team can be really dangerous and potentially finals worthy if everything breaks the right way. But I do think the beginning of the season is going to tell us a lot about this squad. 
there are going to be some pretty rough nights early on where we are playing a lot of young dudes, a lot of unproven dudes, and um, we're not going to be completely healthy. And ultimately, you know, in the Nets overview, I think the thing that we heard is this season comes down for Brooklyn to whether Kevin Durant is going to be on the floor. For the Celtics, I think you can similarly focus in on Jason Tatum. The Celtics are going to go as far as Jason Tatum can take them this year. If he's going to be a borderline MVP candidate, as some teams are, as some analysts are projecting, then the Celtics have a real shot to be a threat in the Eastern Conference. If he's not at that level, then they're probably mm-hmm. going to be a playoff team, a fun playoff team that doesn't go very far. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> Jack, I know has to leave in the next few minutes, so I'm going to throw like huge shade here, and then he'll have to leave and not be able to defend it. Uh, <laughs> One thing that I, I really love about the Celtics that Alex has just talked about is uh, that they play really hard on both sides of the ball. And last year's uh, playoffs really shined a light on not just the importance of defense, but the importance of composure. And that's something the Celtics really lacked and hopefully another year um, at the bat will help them with that. I think whether it's the Bucks or even the Raptors and the Heat, there are some really stingy, tough teams in the Eastern Conference. And as history has shown, it doesn't matter if you're setting the world on fire on offense, you need to be able to settle in and play defense uh, in the postseason. Just go ask the Blazers, go ask the Rockets how not being able to play defense in the playoffs has gone for them. And so maybe the Brooklyn Nets are just a glorified version of the Washington Wizards, but the Boston Celtics can play ball and both ends. And I think that <laughs> I think that that's really awesome uh, <laughs> for uh, for the seas down the stretch. I think Alex, I disagree. I don't really care how the beginning of the season shakes out because Kemba Walker's knees and young players and I mean Deuce Tatum's probably going to talk this season. That's a that's a crazy thing to say, and. It might literally inspire Jason Tatum to play better basketball. It seems like being a dad is a huge part of his identity in this world. And, and we know how that works it. for Van Vliet. I mean, he turned into <laughs> God-level point guard. Yeah, right. I wish that Jason Tatum was as good as Fred, Fred Van Vliet. You're right. Um, so I, I think the Celtics will finish like sixth or something. I think they have a lot of things to work through and a lot of unproven players, but... Uh, they have the chops to compete on both sides. So I'm not super worried about them when push comes to shove. I feel like that's a good place to leave it. Let's uh, let everyone know where to find whatever we're working on. Um, I'm Jack Manuel, for those playing along at home, uh, at the JMNJBT on Twitter, co-host of a lot of podcasts. Just check out the OTG network, JBT, Brooklyn Buzz. I'm on the outlet. I love being on Celtics Lab. I'd love to be back because three Celtics fans that I kind of like interacting with. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Fryer and read all the net stuff that I write at, uh, at Netswire, sister, sister site excuse me, of um, Celtics Wire, of course, at USA Today. Uh, I'm Alex from OTG along with Jack and Cam. Um, and I'm going to be working on a piece for them coming up about some of the best lineups for each team in the NBA. I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting piece. So that should be coming up in the next couple of days. And otherwise, you can just find me here on C-Lab. Yeah, I just like, I hang out under the stairs and stuff. I'm around, you know, <laughs> I'll just pop up, you know. 
Uh, but happy to be here as always. Uh, wishing anyone celebrating a Merry Christmas and everyone else a happy and safe new year. Of course, as usual, you can find my stuff on Celtics Wire as usual. And if you want to hear more from us, you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps. Please subscribe. You won't miss an episode if you do. And if you like what you hear, you know, five stars, that kind of a thing. If you don't like something, light it on fire uh, and then film it and then circulate it on Twitter. No, that's, that's, don't do that. Do not do that. Uh, just let us know with a, a comment on Twitter or the hashtag CLPOD. We're always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage. And, you know, today, Nets coverage, hopefully, we did that. <laughs>